First Peter chapter 5. If you don't have your Bible with you, there is one in the pew in front of you. And in the pew Bibles is page 1016. Now I know we were all just standing, but I'm going to ask you to stand one more time, one more time. And I'm going to read God's word together and we're going to dig into this. First Peter is written to a church that is struggling. They're being persecuted. They're being afflicted. They're discouraged. And he's reminding them about the fact that Jesus is coming back one day. And he ultimately is the leader of the church. He is the shepherd of the sheep. And in verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 5, I'll begin reading there. It says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. Can you say humility? humility. Toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You may be seated. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for this morning and this opportunity to unpack the word. God, we come to our final message in this series on revival. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to till the hearts of our souls, to to till our hearts, God, and, and allow seeds of the gospel and of truth to take root in us. Father, I pray that you would work in our midst this morning, and I pray you do the same in churches throughout our city, throughout our area, Lord. We thank you, God, for the many men and women who love you, at Chicago Tabernacle and Belmont Assembly of God and New Life Community and New Life Covenant, God, and Bethany Baptist Church and a Legacy Fellowship. God, we, we lift up these churches, God. We pray, God, you would work and move through them in mighty ways, that the name of Jesus would be exalted genuinely, Lord, that the gospel would go forth, God, that lives would be transformed not by behavior modification, but by divine transformation, God. God, we pray that your message through Jesus Christ of eternal life and forgiveness would just permeate each church and be on the lips of your people, God. And God, we pray that today you would humble us under your word, that we would remember, God, that you are the one who is authoritative, that we, oh God, are your people, your sheep, your servants. And God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. In the name of Jesus, I ask, amen. Well, guys, I'm excited to, to wrap up this series and just one more time just call us to hearts that respond to God's call, this idea of revival, to have hearts that are revived, awakened to the realities of Jesus Christ. There's a verse in the book of Acts, chapter 3, verse 19, where 
The Apostle Peter is preaching to Jewish people and he says, repent and turn from your sins so that times of refreshing may come. And that, that phrase, times of refreshing, has been lingering in my mind. And I'm reminded how when we surrender our lives to Jesus, he refreshes our souls. He, he brings a, a, an awakening to our lives. And, and if you are here today and you have put your faith in Jesus, that means you are a Christian. That means you have turned away from your sins and you're turning to God. And yes, you're not perfect, but you know your God is perfect and you're following him. And when you fall, you repent, you, you ask God for forgiveness and you keep turning after him. If that's who you are, if you're a Christian, know that God is calling your life to be one that's in order with him, a, a humble life. And he wants to refresh you and remind you of that call. And if you're here today and maybe that's not where you're at, you, you know of Jesus, you've heard of him and You've heard of the Christian faith, but you have not truly surrendered your life to him. We, we pray that you would understand today that God wants to meet you in this place, that God wants to transform your life. He wants you to, to have an experience, a new life through Jesus. You're not here by accident today. God's sovereign. He's in control of all things. And so we pray no matter where you are at in that spectrum, that God would just meet in your hearts. We've looked at various threads and themes of revival the last few weeks. We've talked about how God calls his children back to the love uh, that they had for Jesus when they first heard about him. To be reminded of, of when the good news of Jesus first rocked you and you're saying, man, God, I love you. I want to follow you. And sometimes when we grow older in our faith, we grow duller in our faith. And, and God says, come back to that love. But also come back to my word because through the word God speaks. And come back to prayer and through prayer, we can confess our sins and receive forgiveness. And so we've seen these threads of revival, these things that happen. But one thing that we've also noticed that I've only touched on briefly is the attitude of revival. The attitude that comes in the hearts of those who want God to meet them. And it's an attitude of humility. That's what I'm going to talk about today. An attitude of a humble heart. There is no such thing of revival as revival with a proud heart. Proud people don't turn to God. And yet in each one of us, there are threads of pride that are just ugly. They're ugly. I remember during our first, uh, we got our first apartment, and we bought furniture for the first time at Value City Furniture up on Harlem. And they said, you know, we could deliver it to your front door for an extra charge of, I don't remember what, because it didn't matter to me. I said it was our first year of marriage, and we were not about to pay for delivery. So I thought, no, I'll go pick it up. I'll save some money. Foolish, right? And I thought, you know what? I don't need other people to help me. I'll just get a U-Haul. I'll go there and get the furniture myself. So I went and rented a U-Haul, went out to Value City Furniture, get there to the dock, and didn't realize how big the sofas really were. <laughs> sofas, plural. The love seat and a sofa. And luckily, there was a guy there who worked said, hey, I'll help you load it in. So he helps me load it into the truck, and I'm thinking, man, I got to take this back to the apartment. And in order to pay less, I got to get this truck back to U-Haul by a certain time. Because, again, I'm trying to save money. But I thought, you know, I got this, right? I got this. So I get to the apartment, and then I'm reminded, wow, we have a real tight stairwell going up to the second floor of our small apartment. And now I got to take this sofa and love seat up the stairs. But, again, I'm young. I'm strong. I'm, 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 I'm proud. And so I get that sofa up, and I'm just like flipping it, you know, like just, just roll it over like I'm, I'm doing CrossFit or something here. And I'm thinking to myself, I should have asked somebody to help me, man. But you know what? I'm like, 
I'm, I'm there. I got the truck. No one's around. Everyone's at work. So I'm just struggling, trying to get the, the love seat, the small one, up the stairs. And I'm thinking there's a bigger one in the truck still, right? And all of a sudden, an older guy comes up. He says, hey, you need a hand? And I'm thinking, oh, please, yes. And he says, you know, I used to be young and dumb like you. I was like, touche. He's like, I used to think I was the Hulk. And then he goes on and helps me take the, the sofas up the stairs. And, you know, by that point, I'm just as small as two inches off the ground. I'm, I've been humbled. And then he introduces himself to me as, as my new landlord. I'm like, oh, I haven't met you yet. Bad, bad first impression. Pride makes us say and do very dumb things, doesn't it? And it takes all kinds of faces, though. Sometimes a pride in our own strength and our own abilities, but, but it looks in a variety of ways. Pride will kill us, church, because at the heart of pride, what it's saying is, I don't need God. I don't need God. Even for myself in that moment, I didn't need other people because I am self-sufficient, which is pride. It's foolish. As you heard me read there, there's, there's a, two verses I want us to park on in, in 1 Peter f- uh, 5. And I'm going to preach a little different today. But here Peter says, he says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility, in verse 5, toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. He says that God opposes the proud. God is against prideful people. But he gives grace to humble people. He resists the haughty and he revives the humble. He rejects the boastful, but it restores the broken. It's an interesting thing to think that God is opposed to people who are prideful. And you and I must understand that the pride in our hearts, we must do with it what we do with every mosquito in our house. You got to put it to death. Because pride will suck the life out of you. My message today has got two simple points. Point one, God opposes the proud. Point two, God gives grace to the humble. What I want to do is give you two examples. One of the proud being opposed, and one of the humble being exalted in the scriptures. And in order to look at God opposing the proud, I first want to put to your mind the old adage which says, pride goes before the fall. And you and I must understand that that's not an old adage, but that's actually a proverb from Proverbs 16, 18, which says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we see that very proverb played out in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 26. Let's turn our Bibles there. In the Pew Bible, that's page 377. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. God opposes the proud. And pride stifles revival. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. The books of 1st, 2nd Kings, and 1st, 2nd Chronicles take place during the times of the kings of Israel. There was a northern kingdom of Israel and a southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom of Israel never had a righteous king. They were all wicked. The southern king of Judah, kingdom of Judah had, had some kings that, were, that loved the Lord and some kings that rebelled against him. Here is one such king that chose to follow God much of his life. 
His name is Uzziah. I'm going to begin reading verse 1. It says, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah. And after the king slept, the king slept with his fathers, Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And hear this about Uzziah, verse 4, 2 Chronicles 26. It says, And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And in verse 5, he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. And as long as, can you say that, as long as? And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now, if we had time, we're not going to do this, but if we had time, we could read through this chapter, and we'll see that Uzziah was a very prosperous king. In fact, he strengthened the military of the southern kingdom of Judah. He architecturally built and fortified cities. Agriculturally, he was a man of the field, and he loved fields, and, and he strategically caused uh, different fields to be developed and crops to grow. He was a wise and strong man. And God blessed him as long as he sought the Lord. Look at verse 15 of chapter 26. It says, In Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and corners to shoot arrows and great stones. I mean, think about this. This dude had like machines. This is, this is B.C. This is like 1,000 B.C. Actually, more like 800 B.C. And he's got arrows and things shooting out of these towers. I mean, this guy, God was giving him prosperity in a variety of ways as a king. And then at the end it says, And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. That's kind of a summary of Uzziah's life up to this point. His fame spread. But as the proverb tells us, pride comes before the fall. Here's a man, Uzziah, king of Judah, doing great and marvelous things for God. God blessed him as long as he sought the Lord, but pride came in, and as long as was applied, he no longer did. Look at verse 16. But, the contrast, see the contrasting conjunction there, but when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. That's a sad statement. But when he grew strong, he grew proud to his own destruction. He grew proud. See, see pride develops. He just didn't wake up all of a sudden one morning saying he's a prideful man. It is something that he did not put to death as it came up in his life. And you and I know that pride just starts to rear its ugly head in our lives. In Greek mythology, there's a guy named Narcissus and, and from which we get narcissism. And according to Greek mythology, he, he, what he ended up doing was he walked one day by a lake. And in that lake, he saw, a re, he saw somebody in a, a reflection Again, he didn't know it was himself, but he was so just pleased by the reflection that he saw, so consumed by the reflection, not knowing it was himself, and it began to consume him because he was self-focused. And of course, narcissism is that very thing. It's that self-focusedness. It's that pride of self. 
And pride grows within us. And here, King Uzziah did not put it to death when it started rearing its ugly head. And it led him to be prideful to his destruction. You know, it's not rare when there's times in our weakness we run to God. And that's a good thing. Okay. Sometimes I think our pride prevents us from going to God when we're struggling because we're like, oh man, now I'm coming to God and when I'm struggling, I didn't do it before. It's always the right thing to run to God. But I often see happen when, you run to, when people run to God and God comes through and delivers them. He provides for them. He helps them. He mends those friendships. He helps them through his struggles, and when they're out of the darkness and into the clear, they begin to drift, begin to drift from God. And what begins to happen is the pride of self-sufficiency begins to settle in, and pride pulls us away from God. And this is what happened with Uzziah. When he prospered, in his mind he thought he no longer needed God. Don't be those kind of people. And be alert if you're prospering today. God's giving you favor in the workplace. If people are showering you with compliments, if educationally you're succeeding, if your five-year plan is right on plan, be careful. Lest you take credit for what God is doing. We must hold our lives with an open hand. Uzziah didn't do it. And God opposes the proud, and he opposed King Uzziah. Now, there's another Greek mythology character named Hydra, which is a serpent with multiple heads. And according to some Greek mythological stories, if you cut off one head, it grew a second. They say that about gray hairs too, don't they? You just pop one out too, come in. And sometimes pride feels like that, right? You, you're, you're prideful about one thing, and just when you feel like you've, you've conquered that, that arrogance and you're, you're humble, you're saying, God, I realize that, it rears its head in another area in your life. And in fact, what I was thinking through, just the different forms of pride in our lives, and, and I came to, up with at least five of them, five species of pride, if you will, that I want to alert you to. And then you might think of more than I did. Some of them I put together in multiple, in one category, but... The first one is this, is I'm calling braggadocious pride, all right? It's the kind of pride that, that exalts yourself. It's the kind of pride that toots your own horn. It's the kind of pride that's willing to step on others to lift your own reputation up. You just brag about yourself in subtle ways, right? It's not always the overt, I'm the best, but it's sometimes, hey, look what I did. <laughs> and when we brag and we have this braggadocious mindset, it's prideful. In fact, a passage we'll look at in a little bit, Luke 18, verse 9, Jesus tells a parable, a parable about the prideful religious leaders. And he says, uh, Luke writes, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's how Luke defines that kind of pride. Trusting in themselves that they were righteous and held others in contempt like, hey, you're not as good as me. That's the first kind of pride I see sometimes my own heart, the hearts of others. A second one is a know-it-all kind of pride. The know-it-all kind of person is difficult to teach. Why? Because they know it all. But a know-it-all person doesn't need God then because God is the one who instructs. 
God, I got that. I learned that already. Yeah, I learned that lesson several months ago, God. Oh, I was taught that three years ago. Or God, you know, no, 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 it's no problem. I know, I know, I know. No, you don't. Don't have the know-it-all kind of pride. In fact, of this kind of person, the proverb says this person is worse off than a fool. (laughs) Proverbs 26, 12 says, do you see a man who's wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs have a way of saying things, don't they? A third kind of pride is a self-sufficient pride I alluded to. It's refusing the help of others. That's me with the sofa in the hallway. But this self-sufficient pride is also saying, God, I don't need you. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Sometimes the, the vengeful activities of our hearts. Feeling like we need to be the ones to execute vengeance and take revenge. Because we're self-sufficient. We don't need God. It's pride. When we're struggling, are we asking God for help? Are we coming to others or are we trying to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps only to fall back on our face? A fourth kind of pride is overconfident pride. You see this in sports teams, right? When a top team plays a worse team, they don't prepare as well sometimes because they become overconfident. That's how you lose Super Bowls when you're undefeated. It happens. You, you think your, your opponent is beneath you. Sometimes we become overconfident in our lives. But the fifth kind of pride I want to draw our attention to is one that's perhaps most stealth. And it's self-defacing or self-pity kind of pride. You think, wait, that's not pride. That's humility. No, it's not always humility. Sometimes we can think so lowly of ourselves and put ourselves down. And we think it's being humble. But self-pity is actually still about self, which makes it prideful. And so what we, we've got to say, okay, how do I maintain a humble heart here then? You know, if, I, if I'm boasting, I'm prideful, and if I cut myself down, I'm prideful. Well, we've we got to understand that pride is there lurking. Beth Moore, she's a, a Bible teacher, she writes this poem about pride that I've always found to be helpful when, when my wife introduced it to me. She writes this, she says, My name is Pride. I am a cheater. I cheat you out of your God-given destiny because you demand your own way. I cheat you of contentment because you deserve better than this. I cheat you of knowledge because you already know it all. I cheat you of healing because you're too full of me to forgive. I cheat you of holiness because you refuse to admit your wrong. I cheat you of vision because you'd rather... Look into the mirror, then out a window. I cheat you of genuine friendship because nobody's going to know the real you. I cheat you of love because real romance demands sacrifice. I cheat you of greatness in heaven because you refuse to wash another's feet on earth. I cheat you of God's glory because I, am convin- I convince you to seek your own. My name is Pride. Indeed, pride is constant lie, lying force in our lives that wants to steal our lives. For King Uzziah, he was prideful and it led to his fall. Let's take a look at what happened to him in verse 16. We see that he grew strong, grew proud to his destruction. And then it says, for he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. That's the job of a priest, not a job of a king. 
But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. This is great courage. And they withstood the king Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated. They're set apart. They're they're holy. God has put them in his place to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. And then verse 19, Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. And they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper, and being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. This great and mighty king ends his life isolated and ill because of his arrogance. Now we know not all illness is connected to sin. In fact, you might remember the story where Jesus and his disciples are walking and they see a man who is ill and they ask Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents? And Jesus said, neither. He's sick, but but he's here so God could be glorified in his life. And, And God is glorified in our suffering, church. But sometimes we experience affliction or illness or trials as a product of our own rebellion against God. And this is what happened to Uzziah. He's there with leprosy to the day he died, and he refused to repent. See, there is no personal awakening when we, in our proud hearts, refuse to repent and turn to God. And for Uzziah, that was his undoing. And as Proverbs says, pride came before the fall. Indeed, God opposes the proud, church. Can you say that with me? God opposes the proud. But secondly, God gives grace to the humble. Say it with me. So just as Uzziah fell to his face, we see another example in the book of Luke chapter 18 of a man in a story who humbled himself before God and God lifted him up. The book of Luke chapter 18, would you turn your Bibles there and meet me there? That's towards the end of your Bible in the New Testament. The first book of the New Testament is Matthew, then it's Mark, and then Luke. Luke chapter 18, verse 9 will stay, will be. That's page 877 in your pew Bible. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. I'm going to read the parable to get it in front of us. Luke 18, verse 9. And this is Jesus teaching and Luke writing what Jesus says. And Luke says, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. These were prideful people, self-righteous people. And here's the story Jesus tells in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, that's a religious leader of the Jewish people, and the other a tax collector, he's an IRS agent. And in those days, they were often very corrupt. Verse 11, the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. He said, God, 
I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. That's his prayer. But verse 13, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. In verse 14, Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Why? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Two examples, two people in this story, a Pharisee, a tax collector. The Pharisee prays. He prays to God. He's in the temple praying to God. But how about that prayer, guys? How about that prayer? God, thank you that I'm not like those losers over there. Those guys are really jacked up. You see them? Extortioners, cheaters, adulterers. They're doing all these horrible things, and yet, God, here am I praying to you. I fast twice a week, and I give generously. He's boasting. He doesn't see the log in his own eye. But notice the primary problem that this Pharisee had was that who's he comparing himself to? See, pride, proud people don't compare themselves to God, but to other people. And he lined himself up with this guy who he viewed to be worse than him, and he puffed up his chest and says, I'm better than this wicked man. See, when we compare ourselves to other people, we can always find someone worse than us and then take pride in our own self. But notice the tax collector. Notice the location of where he's at. See, Jesus says in verse 13, he was standing far off. He wasn't even in the temple. And then notice, he would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, so ashamed and just feeling the weight of his sin. And then he utters a simple prayer saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. This is a man who humbled himself beneath God. Who did he compare himself to? Not the tax collector. I mean, not the Pharisee. He's not saying, God, this Pharisee, look at him. He's so good. He's so righteous. He said, God, I'm looking at you, God, and I fall short of your glory. See, if God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, we need to ask, how do we cultivate a humble heart then? If pride is so stealth, and if ego is so tempting that we become egoholics, how do we then learn to walk in humility? Well, let's take a look at the tax, at the, uh, the tax collector here. He, he, he postures himself toward God, and he recognizes, God, I'm not worthy of you. He's not coming to, say, to God saying, God, you owe me something. See, a prideful heart comes to God with, with some sort of entitlement. God, you owe me. Tax collector said, God, you don't owe me anything. Not only that, he won't even look up. And he's saying, God, I feel shame over my sin. I, I recognize it. It's, it's been wrong. A humble heart sees our sin for what it is. And then he beats his chest. It, it, it's painful to him to recognize what he's done. 
And then he does what we all are supposed to do in that moment of humility. He's saying, God, I need you. Show me mercy. That's what a humble heart does. It cries out to God for mercy with genuine sorrow over our sin. You know, back in the 19, early 1900s, um, there was a revival that broke out in China. Uh, it happened after a boxer revolt, which was a, a time when a lot of people in China were casting out foreigners in the land. And, and a lot of missionaries, Christian missionaries, were then cast out of China. And, and they're so discouraged because many had labored for years and God was doing things. And it just, it, it just stopped everything to a halt. And there was one such missionary named Jonathan Goforth. He was a Canadian man. And during that boxer uprising, he was beaten and left for dead. But God restored his life, and he went back to Canada to get healed and get treatment from God and from doctors and from others. And then he went back to China with his family. And when he went back there, he just felt this longing, saying, God, would you do a revival here in China? And he began to hear stories of of revivals breaking out in Korea and in India And he had this kind of godly jealousy, like, God, won't you do it here too? And he began to pray and just plead with God for revival. And he says that one day when he was teaching other Chinese leaders and Chinese people there who had begun to follow Jesus, in some words, kind of of lukewarm in their faith, he says as he was teaching, the thought crossed his mind of an unreconciled relationship he had. While he was teaching, he was thinking about this. And it was a relationship that he had tried to work on, and so did the other person. And, and this guy, Jonathan Goforth, realized he, he felt like he wasn't wrong in the, in the situation, but he realized he needed to go and apologize for what it all became. And while he was teaching, he resolved in his heart that afterward he would go and talk to this person. And he says that something happened while he was teaching that he didn't expect. That just when he resolved to say, God, I'm going to honor you and reconcile his relationship, he saw the appearance of people in front of him, their postures change. They, they went from a stoic listening to him teaching to all of a sudden they began to feel convicted over their sins. And all of a sudden people began to just pray, confess their sin, and, and he's thinking, God, what are you doing here? It, it was a sprinkle of revival. And he went on to teach in other places, and all of a sudden, he said what happened was God was pouring out confession. People were just confessing their sins, saying, God, we've been arrogant, we've been sinful, we've rebelled against you. And slowly but surely, God began to spread revival throughout China, through these underground churches. Tens of thousands of people began to put their faith in Jesus. And during that time, another missionary named Walter Phillips who was very skeptical about these revivals. He says, you know, I'm going to go visit uh, this church and see what God is doing there. And he showed up during one of their gatherings, and he says he was surprised by what he saw, and it changed his skepticism into belief. He writes this in 1908. He says, at once on entering the church, one was conscious of something unusual. The place was crowded to the door, and tense, reverent attention sat on every face. The very singing was vibrant with new joy and vigor. The people knelt for prayer, silent at first, but soon one here and another there began to pray aloud. 
The voices grew and gathered volume and, and blended into a great wave of united supplication. He says, then above, then people began to sob, and the sobbing turned into strained, choking tones. He says, a man began to make public confession. Words of mine will fail to describe the awe and terror and pity of these confessions. It was not so much the enormity of the sins that were being disclosed or the depths of iniquity sounded that shocked one. It was the agony of the penitent. That's the the repentant person. His groans and cries and his voice shaken with sobbing. Here this man is describing a revival that happened in China. He's saying, People began to confess their sins to God and to one another. He says, and it wasn't so much that these sins were these, these tremendous things, but these people had humbled themselves before God and they began to feel sorrow over their sin. See, that's what humility does. And that's what pr- pride prevents. It stops us from seeing our hearts for what they are and coming to God repentance. God gives grace to the humble just as he opposes the proud. And God opposes the proud ultimately because the proud oppose God. What we see here is this call to humility. Jesus says, it is this man who has walked away justified. The word justified is a theological term in the scriptures that means to be declared right before God. And Jesus says, it's this tax collector, this this sinner, if you will. He's the one who's right before God. And the reason is because proud people don't repent. Humble people turn to God for mercy. Where's your heart at today? Where's your heart at? Has pride taken such a hold in you that it's choking out the life from you? Or even as I'm teaching here, is your heart being stirred saying, God, I need your humility. See, what's so good and what's so great about our God is he hasn't left us to our own devices to figure it out. But the greatest act of humility is Jesus himself, where the highly exalted God of the universe left his throne and humbled himself and took on this human nature in order to save us. Paul writes in Philippians 2, He says, have this mind, which is the same of Christ Jesus, who though in the form of God emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant. And then he says, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, the ultimate humble one, humbled himself to the point of death on a cross so that us, the arrogant ones, can be humbled and then be exalted. Which means we are adopted into God's family, we are forgiven, and we have the hope of eternity. What will be your choice today? We were praying earlier before the service, and uh, one of the sisters was praying, asking God to cause dry bones to come to life. Maybe your bones are just dried up. Maybe it's because of pride or sin, or just turning away from Jesus. Maybe the world has been so enticing and you've turned your back. Maybe you've never turned to Jesus and you're walking dead right now. And God needs to revive and awaken you. Will you let yourself, humble yourself before the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he can lift you up 
Or will you remain in the posture of shaking your fist at God as Uzziah did to the day of his death, knowing that God opposes the proud? Church family, this is what revival entails. It's a heart that is, has its affections on Jesus, passion for his word, a love for prayer, and coming to God with heart that's bare. Say, God, I need you. I need you. God rejects the boastful and restores the broken. And if you are the broken today, or if you want to be the broken today, we want to invite you to pray. Right now, what I want to do is just ask us, even in the stillness and quietness of this room, and it might feel a little awkward, but that's all right. Would you just, together with me, bow your heads? And, and maybe, maybe you've never prayed before. I invite you to pray right now. And say, God, show me the pride in my heart. God, show me what's going on and how my heart and my, my arrogance dishonors you. Grant me humility. Will you just take a moment there and just pray, pray to the Lord and talk to him. Father, we come before you and we pray this. We say, Lord, teach me. Teach us to walk humbly with you, God. Father, forgive us for our pride in the various ways it's manifested in our lives, God. Father, forgive us for elevating ourselves over you. Lord, we confess our sin. We repent. God, have mercy on us. Help us see a new day graced in our lives with humility, saturated with hope. God, let our hearts be a fresh and moist soil for the seeds of revival to grow. God, let the cross of Jesus be sweet to our ears and soften our hard hearts. Father, let your word be to us a great treasure to be enjoyed. Let prayer be a place of transparent crying out to you, God. Father, grant us the grace to be humble before you. Lord, we know you say that you oppose the proud and you give grace to the humble. God, let that be our posture of humility today. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Worship team, would you guys come on up as we conclude in this final song and with the rest of us let's rise to our feet family as God continues to stir in our hearts as we sing this final song and don't let your heart become hardened don't let your you keep God at a distance so keep crying out even as we sing prayer team would you guys come forward you guys can be up here and there are others men and women here who would love to pray with you pray for you and as always we want to let you know that you're welcome to come and kneel here at the altar here and maybe you just want to pray alone between you and God you're welcome to do that sometimes God wants to establish the things he's doing in our hearts by causing us to step forward in one way or another 
not, not let it be a secret in our own heart, but we want to share with others. We want to take that step of faith saying, God, I, I want to draw a line in the sand today. So let's just cry out to God in song and prayer. Lord, revive our hearts according to your steadfast love and mercy. Oh 